we're going to talk about uh, a couple things tonight that that go together. Um, The main thing is, uh, what makes denominations different? So we know, we're talking about the doctrine of the church, right? And we know that there are lots of different denominations, even setting aside the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Inside of Protestantism, you know, we have lots and lots of different churches. And um, sometimes the differences between those churches seem... um, insignificant or obscure to people who don't really know what the church, those churches believe, um, or sometimes the things that stick out to us the most about how churches differ are not actually the things that on paper the, church, the churches would say, this is why we are Methodist and not Baptist, or Baptist and not you know Pentecostal, or whatever. Um, so I want us to talk about uh, as we talk about the doctrine of the church, what makes those things different? What makes denominations different? And um, to sort of introduce that and help us think about these differences, um, I want us to talk about something called theological triage, which you know what triage is, right? When you go into the emergency room, they uh, categorize you into three different uh, you know, groups depending on the severity of the problem so they know... You know, if you come in with something really severe, you're going to get into a room right away. Um, If you come in with a cold, you know, or something that they think is relatively minor or minor compared to what they're dealing with already, you might sit there for a really long time, you know, before you get into a room and get treated. So um, uh, this is, I didn't make this up. I learned it from Al Mohler. He probably learned it from somebody else. Um, But uh, this idea of theological triage helps us think about um, the way, uh, well, helps us think about which doctrines um, are most important um, and which doctrines are um, what, we, what he calls first, second, and third order uh, doctrines, those that are essential, those that are important and, but, uh, and essential for the health of a church, and those that are not essential um, and really not even not necessary for the health of a church either. Either So um, I got the board out just to sort of put this in picture form, right? So if we uh, classify doctrines as first, second, or third order, um, the, uh, the doctrines that are first order are those that are uh, essential to the Christian faith. Uh, so... These would be uh, doctrines like uh, the Trinity, uh, the deity of Christ, uh, salvation is by grace through faith. These are things that all Christians have to agree on, right? So let me give us a couple of passages of scripture um, relating to these. Uh, First one is uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 3 and 4, important passage, one that I quote pretty often, um, that uh, sets this up really well for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So, Paul says... 
the thing I told you that was the most important, the thing of first importance, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that those events were uh, in accord with the Old Testament scriptures. They were prophesied uh, in the Old Testament. God brought them to pass. They have happened. Jesus' death was for our sin, and he didn't stay dead, though he he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day. And that's of first importance. So if if we don't start there, if we don't agree on that, then we're not even inside the Christian circle, so to speak. You know, if you... If you reject the resurrection of Jesus, you're outside of the Christian faith. If you reject the doctrine of the Trinity, there's one God who exists in three persons, you're outside of the Christian faith. You might believe some parts of the Bible, but if you don't believe in the Trinity, then you're not a Christian. Um, so those, uh, those are uh, essential doctrines. One other passage uh, that makes this point really clear as well is Galatians. So after 1 Corinthians... Is 2 Corinthians and then Galatians. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. <clears throat> Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, Let him be accursed or anathema. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So there Paul, when he's talking about the gospel, he's both talking about um, the death and resurrection of Jesus, which he's just mentioned um, in verse uh, three and four, or at least his, his death, right? The, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So he's talking about the death and resurrection of Christ, and he's talking about the fact that we're saved by faith in Jesus, right? and the whole rest of the letter is about the fact that we don't have to keep the law and trust Jesus in order to be a Christian. You just have to believe in Jesus. You don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to take on the burden of the law. Um, all of that is part of the gospel. So Paul doesn't say, hey, if we disagree about the gospel, we're still brothers in Christ, but we might need to start different churches. No, he says if you're preaching a different gospel, you're under God's curse, under God's judgment. This is not a, there's no room for disagreement on these fundamentals. This is a first order doctrine right? that's essential to the faith. So, again, those are things that all Christians agree on. Did not affirming the things in the first order, those are, that puts you outside of the Christian camp entirely. The second order are doctrines that are essential to the health of the church. And what I mean by that is um, they're not things that we have to agree on in order to be Christians, but... They are things that we have to agree on if our church is going to operate smoothly. All right, so uh, a key uh, here, a key example there would be um, baptism, how we practice it, not if we practice it, right? Because all Christians practice baptism, but how we practice baptism, 
whether you practice baptism by immersion or by sprinkling is important, but it doesn't determine whether or not you're a Christian, right? So there are people who um, who uh, practice uh, baptism by sprinkling, right? The Presbyterians and Methodists and whatever. Um, and as Baptists, we would we would say that's not the biblical mode of baptism. The, the, Baptism in the New Testament is clearly by immersion. Um, But we wouldn't say that, therefore, those people are not Christians. Uh, But we would have a really hard time uh, functioning as one church, right? If you got a bunch of Methodists and a bunch of Baptists and tried to make one church and nobody changed their mind, then what are you going to do every time somebody's baptized? Are you going to sometimes sprinkle and sometimes immerse? Well, then you got to find a pastor who doesn't have a strong conviction one way or the other. That might be hard to do, right? And then, you know, the rest of the half of the church is going to be uncomfortable every time you practice baptism, thinking that's not the way that we're supposed to do it. And then you can go even further and say, well, what about do we baptize believers or do we baptize the children of believers? Right? Then you're going to have even stronger, deeper division between different groups, right? So it's not that one of those makes you a Christian and one of them doesn't, but if your church is going to function in a healthy way, you probably all need to be in agreement on these second-order doctrines, right? So um, baptism is a big one there. So is the Lord's Supper, right, that... um, you need to have some level of agreement about how the Lord's Supper is supposed to be understood, um, who it's supposed to be served to, and under what circumstances. That's another thing where if you if you don't have agreement on that inside of a church, then this meal that is supposed to represent our unity is instead going to be an occasion of disunity uh, because you're going to have conflict in the church about how you're supposed to be observing this meal, right? And who's supposed to be participating and how and and all those things. Are are, uh, only members allowed or only baptized believers or can children who have not been baptized or, you know, who who can take, you gotta, and is it it strictly symbolic or is it, uh, is there some kind of transformation that takes place in the the bread and the uh, wine or is it, you know, what all those things you probably need to be in pretty close agreement on in your church for things to function well. Another uh, thing that goes in this category is church government. How is your church organized? How is it run? Who makes decisions? All those kinds of things. Um, Naturally, each church needs to be in agreement about that because if you're always um, you know, having conflicts about who makes decisions or who our leaders are supposed to be or whatever, um, that you're, that you, you're not going to have a healthy church, right? So um, <clears throat> some churches have, like Presbyterian churches, have uh, a board of elders, um, and then some of those elders make up a higher board of elders called a session that oversees multiple churches, and then Above that, it goes to, I'm trying to remember what the next level is called. Um, uh, the general, I think the next goes to the General Assembly, maybe, which is like their denomination, I think. Um, some elders from each uh, 
uh, of those. So um, I don't think I'm explaining that well. We'll explain, I'll explain that better later. Um, but um, that's a different time, kind of government than what Baptist churches have, right? Baptist churches are autonomous, and we might have one pastor or multiple pastors, but our, there's no body above the church that makes decisions for the church, right? It's the decision-making happens in the church, led by the pastors, but also pastor or pastors, but also um, democratically, so to speak, as the church votes and participates in the decision-making process of the church. Um, So, uh, and then um, you have, uh, like the Episcopal church government is totally different, right? Where you have priests uh, who are overseeing the churches and you have bishops overseeing multiple churches and a diocese and and so on. So all those things are things that you need to be in agreement on. Part of why we're talking about this tonight is because this is where we are headed in our study of the doctrine of the church is we've, we've talked about what a church is. We've talked about uh, pastors and deacons as the leaders of the church. We've talked in pretty generic terms about things that just about everybody I think would agree on as far as how, what the church is and, and who the leaders are. <clears throat> but as we get into in the weeks ahead, um, baptism and the Lord's Supper and church government, we're gonna, and on all of those topics, we're going to talk about um, the different ways that different denominations understand and practice those things. And it's good to have in our minds ahead of time that when we say, you know, for example, on baptism, when we say, here's why Presbyterians practice infant baptism, and here's why Baptists practice believer's baptism, we're not having a conversation about whether or not Presbyterians and Baptists are Christians, right? We're not, we're not talking about that category. We're talking about how do we, how do, we do this faithfully as best as we know how. Here's how they think they do it. Here's how we think we do it. We both are practicing baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? We're both practicing Christian baptism but we have significant disagreements about how that's supposed to be done, and that's why we're in different churches. It's not because we don't like each other, right? It's not because we don't think each other are believers. It's because we have a significant disagreement on a second-order issue, and for our churches to function in a healthy way, we need to be in different churches that can agree on those practices. Same thing with how our churches govern. Same thing with how we practice the Lord's Supper. So that's um, why we're talking about that. And let me give you uh, what's, uh, if not an example of this, at least points in this direction. So in the the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about uh, the divisions that are in the church, and he brings up the subject of baptism in a way that helps you see that baptism is not a first-order issue. So in, in chapter 15, we saw he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is a really big deal. Galatians, he says, if you turn to a different gospel, it's not even the gospel at all. Whoever's preaching that false gospel is condemned and so on. Okay, contrast that way of talking to what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 1, 
uh, starting verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay, so is, the, is our practice of baptism and the gospel, are those in the same category? Not for Paul. Not for Paul, right? He's saying, God sent me to preach the gospel... And I've been baptizing people because that is important, but you need to understand, that's not anywhere on the same level of importance as preaching the gospel. That's not my main job. To be honest, I don't even remember how many of you I baptized. It's not that big of a deal. I'm kind of glad I didn't baptize very many of you, so you wouldn't think that your baptism was associating you with me instead of with Jesus. Because the whole purpose of baptism is you baptize in the name of Christ, the Show that you belong to Christ. So he doesn't want there to be divisions around personalities and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the main thing I want us to see for our purposes now is the, the way he puts baptism in a different category than the gospel itself. Even though it's important, uh, he doesn't make near as big of a deal out of baptism as he does out of the gospel. All right. <clears throat> then the third level... Um, are uh, non-essential uh, issues. And uh, sometimes uh, there's a, a fancy word that people use for this sometimes called adiaphora. It just means matters of indifference. Like it doesn't matter what position you hold on that question. Um, and the best example I can think of in uh, the New Testament, though it doesn't, doesn't entirely translate into the issues that we most often have to think about as being third order issues. It does give a good example. And this is in in Romans 14 um, where Paul is addressing a church where uh, there are Jewish and Gentile believers in the church who have different convictions about certain things. And he basically says to them, you know what? It doesn't matter. Leave each other alone. Disagree on those things, but remain in harmony in regards to the gospel, and let God sort all the rest of it out later. You don't worry about it. All right, so um, let's see. Let me start in verse 5, Romans 14. He says, One person esteems one day as better than another. That would probably have been the Sabbath. While another esteems all days alike. That's probably most of the Gentiles. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. 
For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So Paul says, look, some of you are still trying to observe the Sabbath, not because you think you're bound to the law. He deals with that differently in Galatians and Colossians. Um, Not because you think you're bound to the law, but you just want to honor the Lord with that day. Fine. Some of you think God made all the days. God gave us all the days. We're not under the law. I've never kept the Sabbath before in my life. I was raised as a pagan Gentile. I don't need to, Paul said, I don't have to start keeping it now, so why would I? Fine. Treat every day alike. Honor the Lord with every day. Honor the Lord especially on one day. It doesn't matter. Don't split your church over that. Don't break a friendship over that. You, you can still sit at the same table. You can still love each other. You can still go to the same church. You know, some of you are abstaining from certain foods. Some of you are not. You all thank God for what you eat, right? You're all doing it to honor God, right? Okay, well, just get over it and try not to be a stumbling block for anybody. If you know somebody is not comfortable eating a certain kind of meat or something, well, then don't plop it down in front of them at the table when you sit down to eat together. Fine, you know, just don't make a big deal out of it. All right, now, those issues are not front burner issues for us right now. Like I remember um, somebody interviewing a guy who uh, had written a book about the Sabbath, going through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I think, talking about what the Bible says about the Sabbath. And he was saying, what, you know, what caused you to write that book? Was it the great Sabbath controversy of 1980? You know, (laughs) there was no great Sabbath controversy, right? So those are not front burner issues for us. Um, Where we are more likely to run into trouble on things like this uh, are certain um, elements of eschatology, what we believe about the end times. So what we believe about the millennium. Are we premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, no-trib, you know, uh, where do we fall on all that stuff? Um, all those kinds of things. Um, and a host of others um, would fall into this category. Um, So would things like, uh, who are the Nephilim in Genesis 6? I I remember um, hearing somebody bring this up. Um, They were saying that at their church they'd had a Bible study, and they were looking at Genesis 6, and talking about, um, you know, who the Nephilim were. And I guess there was a difference of opinion between the person who was teaching the Bible study and somebody who was in the Bible study. And I think maybe somebody in the Bible study was like, I think you're wrong. And the person teaching the Bible study was like, don't you trust me? And I'm like, guys, (laughs) 
we're talking about on the list of issues of importance. This is so close to the bottom, you know, um, that, re- I mean, this is one of those things where, like, you, you might not even hold the same opinion a year or two from now if you think about it again. You read a different commentary. You listen to a different preacher. You might have totally changed your mind. What's that? Or that both might be wrong, right? Because there's more than two options. So there are some things where, like, um, you know, if I got up and preached about the Nephilim in Genesis 6 and was like, if you're going to be a member of this church, you've got to believe, blah, blah. I mean, you would all rightly look at me like I was crazy, right? Um, It's just not important, right? We can be not only brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, first order, we can also be in the same church, right, second order, and still disagree about these things in the third order, right? So we don't have to believe, um, we don't have to have the same view of the millennium to be members of the same church, right? Now, you know, at some point, if you have, uh, you know, if a pastor starts preaching through Revelation or teaching on end times, at some point, you know, he's going to have to say, here's my view. But he ought not to say, here's my view, and if you don't agree with my view, then you need to find somewhere else to go. But now, it's, it's funny, but there are churches where in their statement of faith is a particular view of the millennium. So if you're going to join that church, you've got to affirm the same view of the millennium that that church affirms. And I remember um, hearing a a pastor that I uh, highly respect say um, that if you make somebody ascribe to a particular view of the millennium to join your church, you are wrongly dividing the body of Christ. That is not, uh, not only is it not an essential doctrine like the Trinity or the gospel, it's not even essential to the health of your church. There's no reason to make somebody affirm a particular view of that in order to even be a member of your church. Um, and this doesn't make any sense. Uh, lots of Christians disagree on that, and there's nothing about that doctrine that shapes the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month life of your church. There's no reason to divide over that. Um, so it's important. We've uh, some of you have been with me before. We've gone through end time stuff, and we're heading, you know, heading there again with this study. Um, so I like to remind us of this all the time that it's because <clears throat> not everybody in this church agrees on the millennium and on end time stuff, and that's totally fine. Right? We're still friends. We still love each other. We might even you know poke at each other a little bit every once in a while about our different views. That's fine. Um, but we don't need to ever get hot under the collar about disagreements on stuff like that. Um, uh, you know, <clears throat> if somebody tries to push me really hard on end time stuff, yeah, I mean, y'all know eventually I just throw up my hands and go, I don't really know. These, I mean, these are not things that I'm dogmatic about anyway, because I don't have real strong convictions on a lot of those things anyway. I have ways I lean and ways I'm inclined to teach about it. and But... Um, you know, there's just way, way too much um, <clears throat> in, unknown, yeah, and too much in the Bible to, to put together and then be able to say, I'm convinced that I have rightly interpreted Zechariah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and the entire book of Revelation. I mean, just 
I just don't know that I'm ever going to be ready to say that, you know. So um, those are things when we, so when we get to those and we disagree, and we know that we will, right, that <clears throat> I just want to make sure everybody knows that we're, we are and ought to be totally comfortable with that. It's no big deal that we disagree on, you know, issues to do with the rapture or with the millennium or whatever. Now, do we all affirm the return of Christ? You better believe it. That's the number one. Right? All Christians believe that Jesus is coming back. Not all Christians agree on how and when and all of that. But everybody agrees he's coming back. That's an essential. So um, <clears throat> many, many, many of <clears throat> the differences um, between <clears throat> different denominations are, are found in these last two circles. Right? Most of them in circle two. Uh, if you look at, and there, there are other things, you know, like music styles and liturgy and worship styles and stuff, those play into that, those categories too, and the differences too. Um, but many, many, many of the differences between the different Protestant or evangelical churches comes back to their views of the Lord's Supper and baptism and church government, which some of that goes back to how they read and interpret the Bible. But... Um, <clears throat> that's where a lot of those differences come from. So it's just important for us, before we get into all that, to have uh, a healthy perspective on where to, how to categorize those things and where to put them. Um, because, you know, there's seem, there are people who, they, it, when you talk to them or you read their Facebook posts or whatever, it feels like they put everything in category one. If you don't agree with me about, you know, I don't know, the age of the earth. You're just not even sure you believe the Bible. Well, come on. <laughs> you know, it might be important, but it's not that important. It's not that clear. You know, you can make an argument, but it's not, it definitely does not belong in category one. It doesn't even belong in category two. That's in category three. It's not that it's unimportant. The millennium's important. What you, what you believe about the age of the earth can be important, but it's not, it's not a... It's not a Christian or non-Christian issue. It's not even a, are you going to belong to this church or not issue? And it ought not to be a fellowship issue. Uh, you can have a healthy debate and discussion about it, but let's not divide over it. So we don't want to be the people who put everything in category one, and we don't want to be the people that put everything in category three, like nothing matters. Well, as long as you have some loose association with the Bible, then you're probably a Christian. Well, no. That's not how it works either, right? There are things that you have to believe and affirm to be a Christian. There are things that you may not understand when you first become a Christian, but as you grow and as you understand the teaching of the Bible better and you understand the teaching of the church tradition that you're connected to better, you ought to have strong convictions one way or another about baptism and the Lord's Supper and maybe even church government, right? And, you know, you might, have, you might get saved in a Methodist church and later become Baptist because, in part, you change your mind about baptism once you learn about it. Or some people might go the other way. You know? But that's not something you have to know at the beginning, but it is something you should have a conviction about eventually right? as you learn and grow. And then the things in the third order, I mean, you're just always learning about those. And you might change your mind a dozen times. Uh, and it's not going to affect where you go to church and it's not going to affect who your friends are. Um, but it's not unimportant because it's in the Bible, and so it's always worth thinking about. So, anyway, any thoughts 